Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Healthy Gut Podcast, the place where you can learn how to achieve a happy, healthy gut with your host, Rebecca Coombs. On today's episode of the Healthy Gut Podcast, episode 14, I'm joined by Sean Seymour and Sam Roberts from Everyday Athletes. They are both qualified nutritionists and personal trainers, and today's show is all around movement. It's something that I've been really haphazard with in my life, and I have been working with Sean and Sam now for a couple of years, and they really are part of my wellness dream team. So we talk about the importance of moving your body and how you can even just get started if you're not feeling very well and you haven't been able to move as had been the case with me, but also how to increase your movement so that you can start to build some strength back in your body and also the importance of movement when it comes to stress and finding the right movement for you and how we can find the right personal trainer for us. Uh, That is the all-important thing. So I hope you enjoy today's episode, episode 14, with Sean Seymour and Sam Roberts. Welcome to the show, Sean and Sam. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having us, Vic. Excited to be here. So I actually have known Sean and Sam for some time. Um, Sean is my personal trainer, so it's really great to have him come on to the Healthy Gut Podcast to talk all about movement today and the importance of movement. And, oh gosh, two, two years ago, maybe a bit longer than two years ago, when I decided I needed to focus on my health once and for all, I um, found Sean and I remember turning up in this studio and saying, I'm really weak and I'm really not feeling very good. I need you to help me, but I'm not in a good place and we need to start from the start. And uh, and we did, didn't we, Sean? Very much so. It was basics to begin with. Yeah. So, um, and, and that's been my journey, just slowly building. And I've had quite a few setbacks with my back uh, playing up over the last two years, but I keep persevering and I still move my body every day. So, Sean, I'd love um, for, we'll start with you um, in terms of how you became a new qualified nutritionist and personal trainer and really what brought you to, to do what you do today. I was kind of at that point in life when I was trying to make a, a career decision for myself um, and I knew that I wanted to work with food. So I was kind of making a decision. I was tossing up between becoming a chef or studying nutrition. A uh, bit of research and you realize that chefs really don't live that much of a glamorous life as like it looks on TV. Uh, so I decided to study nutrition as I've always been very passionate about health and fitness. Um, did my studies. Once I finished my studies, I thought I'd 
get involved with personal training as well because it really gave me the type of nutrition work that I like doing. Um, it helps me work one-on-one with people. I like to work with people, get to know them and chase goals, try to change lives. It's great fun. Wonderful. And Sam, how about you? Um, you've got your own really interesting story as to how you've uh, come to be a really great personal trainer and nutritionist today. Yeah, thanks, Beck. Uh, it was about 10, 11 years ago and I was actually 23 kilos heavier uh, than I am today, actually. I was uh, Myself and Sean played rugby all our lives and then at the end of school I stopped playing and started working and was just living an incredibly unhealthy life. And within about 18 months I put on close to 20 to 23 kilos and yeah, I was really unhappy at the time. I was really unfit and just, uh, yeah, I was in a, I was just in a bad place. And uh, through the help of Sean and uh, a couple of others, I uh, just decided one day I'd had enough and, and dropped the weight. And that took close to 12 months. Um, yeah, and that was just an interesting journey in itself. And then it was after doing that that myself and Sean decided uh, that we'd go and study and he chose nutrition and I chose nutrition and yeah, we've never looked back from there. It was, uh, it was in learning how hard it was that I thought if I could help even just one person not have to go through the, the sort of the same problems, issues and just how hard it was and how sort of alone you feel, um, that'd be worthwhile. So yeah, that, that's my story. And for so many people that have experienced SIBO, um, weight gain is a really common symptom and it's definitely been something that I have struggled with. Um, what, have, what were some of your insights when you uh, started looking at how to lose those 23 kilos that, uh, that you learnt about weight loss? Where do I start? I, uh, I actually just had no idea where to start. I just was... I suppose running and just being active is the first one. The second one is I'll join a gym. When I got to the gym, I had no idea what to do. So I think for the first six months, I was doing anything I thought, which would be literally just moving. But I was doing it all wrong. I was training way too long. And then it wasn't until, you know, some mates got on board and really helped me out, gave me a bit of direction that it really sort of fell into place. I just And I didn't really feel comfortable asking people as well. I, uh, yeah, I kind of just, maybe I was a bit embarrassed or, yeah, I just couldn't quite reach out at the time as well, which was probably as big a problem as any, when they would have, by all means, helped me out from the start. And that can often be uh, quite a common thing, I'd imagine, that um, when, you're, when you're feeling overweight, when you are overweight, you can often feel quite embarrassed. You don't want to ask for help because you feel ashamed at what you weigh. Uh, I know that I, uh, you know, I have never loved um, carrying the extra, extra kilos and you think, well, I can just do it on my own. How hard can it be? But particularly when you've got digestive uh, issues, such as those of us that have SIBO, um, it adds just a whole other complication to losing weight and it's not just as simple as cutting calories and and uh, and exercising more often. There's a whole bunch of other things that you need to do. Yeah, hit the nail on the head. Sean and I, we probably weekly hear people say, oh, I'm, I'm going to come in and see you guys. I'm just going to get fit first, which as great as that sounds is the biggest mistake you can make because if they just come and see us and they'll make a plan, any personal trainer for that matter or any fitness specialist, the plan will get made. You'll be on the right track and you'll get fitter, whatever your goal is, a lot quicker. But it's just that 
I don't want you to see me how I am. Therefore, they don't come in and, and lay it all on the line for us, which is totally understandable. And I know exactly what they're talking about, but not the best approach. Yeah, definitely. Um, and if I if I took that approach when I first started training with Sean, uh, well, <laughs> I, I wouldn't have started. And I remember when we did my initial assessment, I literally ached for days afterwards. And the initial assessment was so light on as I as I thought because I'd previously trained for triathlon, so I was previously really fit and strong. And then there I was, you know, struggling after doing three squats. Um, but you know, working with the right person for you and finding your your right team, your healthcare dream team, um, can help you move forward um, and not be stagnant. So I'd love to talk around movement and why it is so important for our bodies, um, and why someone that is experiencing a chronic illness like SIBO um, should be thinking about how they can add movement into their day. That's a good question, Beck. Really, movement is fundamental to our human life. It's everyone just right now. There's this paleo principle in dieting going on massively. If you want to be paleo to its truest, you got to move. You know, that's what we've done for eons. So you got to movement contributes massively to good health. It does contribute to good health. Um, do you have some tips on what people um, can do if they're feeling really quite unwell today, and and how they can start to look at how they can start moving? Yeah, it really depends on where you're starting from. And I think it's really important that you determine where you're starting from at a real bare bones basic level. If the movement you can handle that is at least gets you doing something is just walking, do it. If that's what it takes, start there and you can really work your way up. Now, you, you'll progress into body weight movement from there. You might just do some body weight squats, maybe some push-ups on your knees. You might even just do a simple plank. Um, but just finding out what your body can tolerate and what your digestive system can tolerate is really important because that gives you the starting point and then it's just about pro- progress from there. Why is movement so important for uh, the, um, the support and the health of our digestive system? Basically, your digestive system relies on blood flow, like all functioning systems within your body. Now, movement promotes blood flow. You get the blood flowing around your body, you stimulate that muscle, that muscular activity. You also stimulate your digestive system. And one of the things that I've noticed with myself is um, when I move regularly, then so does my digestive system. So then I'm more likely to be going to the toilet regularly. And something that someone said to me once uh, was that, you know, there's a reason why a dog does a poop every time it goes for a walk uh, because it's moving and it's doing what it's supposed to do. And I, I think that particularly with SIBO, we feel so chronically unwell. We can feel really bloated. We can be in quite a lot of pain and uh, we can feel really fatigued. So should we be, you know, walking quickly, walking slowly? Should we be walking for five minutes, an hour? What's, you know, what what are your views, Sam? What would you say to someone that's listening? I would just elaborate on what Shawnee said, and that's just moving to how you think your body can cope with it if that makes sense. it's uh, You might start light, see how that affects your body. If you feel great, either while doing it after or a day or two after that, then great, you can keep it at that level or you can maybe step it up a little bit and you just keep slowly progressing and that's all you have to do. And in no time you'll be doing full laps of the block, if not full kilometres. And uh, that's how I found it for myself when I was first trying to lose weight. I uh, 
I remember the first run I did was about 250 meters. I was down on all fours and I thought I was going to have a heart attack. I was that unfit and I was just like, I, how did I ever run kilometers? It was literally 250 meters and then I made the goal. Each time I run, I'm just going to make it to the next letterbox, um, which is five meters away. And uh, I just kept doing that. Next thing I know, I ran my whole street and people can do the exact same. You just start slow, small changes over time and you'll make your way through. I think that's good advice. And if uh, if anyone listening um, wants to start adding movement into their day, that perhaps you know, if they're feeling particularly unwell, they could perhaps just go outside and walk to the corner and come back. And then it might be doing one block and you know, coming back and then building up to a bigger block and perhaps going to a park and walking around the park and then doing two laps of the park and five laps of the park. Uh, and I personally know that I never feel uh, worse for going for a walk. Getting on the walk can often be my biggest challenge (laughs) because there's many reasons why I can convince myself not to do it. But once I'm on the walk, that uh, I feel great. Can you talk around why we feel good when we're exercising? All comes down to endorphins, Beck, basically. Um, Exercise stimulates blood flow like we spoke about before and it causes a chemical reaction in the brain that releases what a lot of people have heard of called endorphins. Basically, little feel-good kicks. So they're they're kind of making you feel good because you've moved your body. Spot on. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. And uh, and I think that um, that's a really wonderful side effect of um, exercise. Um. Now, I have been one of those people that in the past was, you know, full-blown triathlon um, obsessive person. I was, you know, training seven days a week, running, cycling and swimming and loved it Uh, and then had quite a bad, uh, well, very silly but very painful and quite damaging bike accident where I completely destroyed my quad muscle and I was on rehab for 12 weeks. which really knocked the wind out of my sails. Um, these days I focus on walking and, um, and some light training with you, Sean, but also yoga. So my exercise has changed dramatically, but I actually feel more invigorated by it. Can you talk to me about what happens in terms of like how do you know what is the right exercise for you? And if there are any signals that you can look for that your body gives you to say that that's perhaps the wrong thing to do? Yeah, really good question, Beck. Uh, we get it quite a lot. One clear-cut sign that an exercise is no good for you is short, sharp pains. And, and that can be anywhere in the body, um, backs and knees and any muscles and even your nervous system will tell you. And, that, and that's a clear indication that either A, the exercise isn't very good for you or B, you're doing a good exercise, you're just not quite doing it correctly. Uh, And they're things we work on uh, all the time in the gym for sure. What about your energy levels? Should you be looking at um, how you feel energetically um, once you've exercised as an indicator as to whether that's the right exercise for you? Yep, 100%. If you are... If you find you're always just really tired and we see like, oh, I'm I'm just so tired all the time or you're not getting enough sleep or you're getting enough sleep and you're still just waking up, not feeling fresh and invigorated and just ready to attack the day. There could be a trace of, even though you're doing the right exercises and you're doing them well, you're just doing them too much or too often. And throughout the week, you just, as you were saying with your rather vigorous triathlon training, just training too much, just overtraining as they call it. And again, we see that quite a lot. 
it's all about finding the right balance of not only how long you train and what you do while you're training, but the types of training. So changing it up to your yogas and your Pilates and, and finding the balance that works for you. Just wanted to add on that. I think it's a really good point. And Sammy said what Sammy's saying spot on. I think really important for listeners to understand that exercise is stress. And we all carry around so much stress this day and age. We have busy lives, work's tough, family lives are going on. But exercise, while it is beneficial, it comes to a point. You can't just train repetitively over the top, okay? It does come to a point when it's too much. And at that point, when you start training too much, it does have detrimental effects on your health. And why why does that happen? So why do we get a stress response from exercise? Uh, because to have exercise be effective, we need to challenge ourselves. So to change your body, to force it to burn the fat you're trying to burn or grow your muscles bigger or whatever it is you're trying to achieve, you have to challenge your body. Now, anything that does challenge your body is going to cause stress. So while it's not stress like the way you imagine it, pulling your hair out, running around a million things on your mind, it is stress to your body and it doesn't has the same effects. And chronic illness like SIBO um, also causes stress. So as I understand what you're saying, that having a chronic illness and then exercising perhaps too much or that it, the intensity perhaps is, is too high for you at that point, then it's like stress layering upon stress. What can be some of the outcomes or the downsides of not listening to your body and, and pushing too hard and, and causing all of that stress to occur? Uh, basically, recovery just halts. Like anything, you put too much stress on, hands go in the air and someone just goes, no, nah, can't do this, too hard. And your body does no different. So you're constantly in a recovery mode. You're trying to recover your digestive system. Your body's trying to help recover your muscles. Your body's trying to help recover from the mental stress that you're going through day to day. Now, if this does keep, you just keep piling it on, piling it on, piling it on, there comes a point in time that your body goes, no, nah, too much, can't handle it. And this is when you see things like glandular fever, chronic fatigue start creeping in with people. Yeah, it's um, it's really quite interesting, and uh, I think back to the years before I knew that I had SIBO. Uh, I knew I had irritable bowel syndrome (IBS), and I was I decided that I was going to be a runner. I am not a natural runner. <laughs> it's like my body does not have the genes for running. I am. It's like I run backwards. I run that slowly. <laughs> and I would just, you know, I'd put myself under all this pressure to run and feel really stressed by it psychologically. And it was really exhausting. And I was getting sick a lot. Now, I, I, I think I was getting sick a lot as well because my gut was in a really bad state. But I was also like really pushing my body at an exercise level. And I was, you know, I wasn't, I was young, I was in my 20s and I wasn't getting great sleep. And I was partying pretty hard and I was drinking alcohol and, you know, perhaps not eating the best foods, definitely not eating the best foods for SIBO. And so I can imagine that I was in this very stressed state at a, at a physical level. Yeah, one hundred percent. You just uh, just constant stresses through the body, and all that does is just lead to a serious case of inflammation and everywhere. Not only with your drinking, would your liver be overworked, and with your sleep, oh, the lack of sleep pretty much dictates almost everything. It's just not allowing your body to de uninflame itself and de stress, and then it's trying to deal with too many things at once, and really. You just need it to focus on your digestive system and get that sorted before it starts worrying about pretty much anything else. 
Let's talk a little bit about sleep and the role that sleep plays with movement and and how interlinked they are. So again, you know, I, I always you know refer to myself as my own little case study of one, but I know that if I'm exercising or just moving, I sleep better and therefore I'm more inclined to exercise. When I'm not sleeping well, and you know, Sean's had some texts from me very late at night when I'm up uh, and I try to get to bed early mostly, but when I'm working on a new cookbook, uh, then I'll often be working till very late in the evening and I might have to postpone our training session the next day and and then it's a really vicious cycle where you know lack of sleep means lack of movement means lack of sleep means lack of movement um so talk to talk to me a little bit around the impact that sleep has on our bodies and and ability to move and move well it has a huge impact on basically all facets of health sleep really like what you were just explaining there it's what we call the snowball effect positive outcomes lead to more positive outcomes and vice versa so you get good sleep you wake up well you're feeling good so you eat good food you make your training session you're feeling good you train hard you go home feeling well those endorphins we spoke about earlier are pumping you want to eat well again because you've just done a good training session you don't want to ruin it and then after a big day that you've had a very good productive day because you've been feeling good all day you get to night time you're tired you sleep well again and the very like the exact opposite can occur you don't sleep well so you wake up you're feeling sluggish you feel like something easy you do eat something not so healthy you're feeling again feeling sluggish you don't feel like making going to the training session you don't make the session you start beating yourself up because you didn't make the session and it's just that vicious cycle like you said beck it really creeps in that vicious cycle can be a very positive cycle if you just make sure you put those little steps in to get the positive cycle flowing. What are some tips that you have for people that perhaps are, you know, um, insomnia is quite a common symptom of SIBO. Um, what are some tips that you have for people whose digestive systems are causing them disrupted sleep and, and how can they uh, do things today to, to help them sleep better to then allow for better movement? Question I'm glad you asked. I've suffered insomnia probably the last 20 years and I'll tell you it's only in the last two to three years that I really feel like I've got control of my insomnia. Um, the biggest piece of advice I can give on that is just coming to terms with that you have insomnia. It's not a bad thing. You're not a bad person and it's as frustrating as it is to be awake at night. As soon as that frustration kicks in, and I'm sure everyone listening to this who knows about this will relate to this, as soon as that frustration kicks in, you've got no chance of getting to sleep. Just coming to terms with it, deep breathing is a great tactic you can use to try and calm yourself down. If you need to, try to do something productive. Um, read a book is a great one. I find just occupying the mind because it's that you know the thought process that just goes on and they just spin around in circles. Um, but once that's started, you're really not going to get any sleep. So come to terms with it accept it try be calm about it try do something with the time that you feel so you don't feel like you're just lying there wasting time because nothing worse than staring at the roof um and yeah try and find things that help you relax don't just accept i've got insomnia that's it it's nothing nothing that can help me i'm this way there is things out there meditation helps you know reading books helps calming music helps there's all kinds of different ways that you can calm yourself and get the sleep it just does take a little bit of work like anything that's worth doing I really love what you've said there, Sean, about um, not being angry about uh, having insomnia. And I think that when we have these conditions, we can often feel 
guilt and shame and anger and all of these negative emotions that can really wreak havoc on us psychologically. And I have had bouts of insomnia over my lifetime and, uh, and you know, Gosh, it really resonated with me where where you talked about when the mind kicks in, and I literally, you know, feel like a switch turns on, and then the, my brain can be racing, and I it's going a million miles an hour, and my heart, I can feel my heart rate increases, and then my breathing gets more shallow. And something that I've done is I have a um, I have a series of meditation apps that I have on my phone, and I always have my little earphones next to the bed so that if I do wake up in the nighttime I'll put a meditation app on and I'll listen to that and there's only been one time in all the times I've used my meditation app that I haven't been asleep by the end of it I've found them really really beneficial to me um you've talked a little bit about breathing what do you mean by breathing and and how does someone breathe because we're all breathing every day so what what does that mean Sean it's an amazing tool breathing I'm you know how powerful breathing is and how you can actually use breathing uh, to control your mood is amazing um, what I mean by that is really focusing on taking some deep breaths in through your nose and out through your mouth now you want to do this level of breathing so deep that if someone was sitting next to you they could hear you okay so just doing that maybe 10 breaths and then slowing your breathing bringing it down and just really focusing think about the breath like we were talking about the thoughts that go crazy if you can find something that occupies your thoughts it will help you sleep and if your thoughts are channeled towards your breathing it makes a big difference and do you do you recommend that people count on the inhalation and the exhalation like you know I could breathe deeply but I could do it really quickly and that might speed up my heart rate so what's your advice around how many seconds whatever uh, that you have to breathe in and do you get people to hold the breath and then release it what's the like literal uh, step-by-step guide on how to do that Uh, I would say a three to four second inhalation and then an equivalent exhalation I wouldn't say a set number because not everyone has the same lung capacity as everyone some people will find that a really deep breath is kind of leaves them short of air Basically, as long as you are in control of your breath is the important thing. You are slow, you have a tempo, it's methodical, you control the breath in and it goes as deep as you possibly can and then you control it out till you feel you've expelled all of the air. That's how I would recommend you do it. And how quickly do you find that that can actually help calm the mind and uh, and allow um, yourself, Sean, to get back to sleep if you've woken up or you haven't been able to get to sleep with insomnia? Personally, no more than 10 minutes. It's quite fast for me. Um, I'll go through a little process where I look at the roof, I relax, I take that first deep breath in and then from there I just start counting. I take a breath in, I count my breaths, one on the exit inhalation, two on the exhalation. When I get to 10, I start again. No more than 10 minutes and I'm pretty much out like a light. Hmm, it's really great. To, it's a really great advice. I'm going to try that next time I'm struggling to get to sleep and uh, the brain is racing because there's always a million ideas going off in my head of what recipes I'm going to develop that uh, are going to help the SIBO community. <laughs> um, pain. Now, pain is something that us SIBOers are really familiar with. We deal with it every single day. Our 
and our guts are bloated. We feel like we're really distended. We've got really, we can have really intense cramping. I mean, some people can end up in hospital because the cramping is so overwhelming that that uh, they're worried that something else is happening. Um, we can have pain from constipation, pain from diarrhea, pain from heartburn. Like we are literally so attuned to pain that, you know, we are ready for pain. And Sometimes exercise can be painful. So can we have too much pain happening in our body? One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Yeah, you actually can, Beck. It's uh it's a really fine line. To be honest, even with people that have no SIBO or any GI issues themselves, it's still a fine line. Those who obviously have SIBO or any sort of GI uh, thing going on, that's where it gets a little tricky. It's uh, one, I would say you should definitely exercise. My second thing would be the next time you exercise, that's where it differs. So just as we were saying, starting lightly, seeing how that feels and then waiting a couple of days because you don't want to be exercising when you're just really, when you're cramped, when you're bloated, when your gut's feeling irritated, if your bowels aren't feeling great, if, you know, you're feeling the effects of heartburn, then I would say take the day off. I would say have a rest and let your body do what it needs to do in terms of recovery and then just see. The next day that you're feeling like you're, you're up for it, then go for it and then really see what can happen. We see it a lot. It's if you're feeling really sore in the muscles or in the joints or your ligaments or anything like that after two days it's a little too much pain that's the last thing you want you don't want your body to be that sore that long it should be helping your body not making it worse I've done training sessions and uh, things in the past where, you know, three, four, five days out of the training, I can still be feeling really sore. And I don't know if my listeners have ever experienced this, but I call it the toilet test where whether you can sit down on the toilet unaided and whether you've got to throw yourself back onto the seat because your legs are so stiff and sore that they just don't have any give. Um, To me, that's too much pain <laughs> and uh, and that's not the kind of sensation that I like and I actually I don't like to get that stiff and sore from a training um, these days and I think that that's probably what you're referring to Sam so something that, um, interesting though for for the listeners is that I think um, particularly with bloating and, and it, look this is my personal experience it's not it won't work for everybody but on the days that I'd get really bloated uh, a gentle walk and I'm not talking about power walking and you know doing a really long walk but literally just going for a walk around the block just slowly and you know focusing on my breathing could often really help alleviate my bloating um, you know I'd laugh and say I was being propelled along by the gases I was able to release and I think that moving was really helping get some of that trapped gas out um, so I, I, I think that you know doing something that can work um, like that can be quite beneficial what about um, I don't know if you guys have a, a viewpoint on you know, rubbing your tummy or, you know, some massage to support um, building um, or support your journey through movement and and whether you feel that there is a role for having regular massage or muscular treatments to help you as you're getting stronger and perhaps alleviating some of that pain. 
that you might, uh, it was not pain, stiffness you might get from having worked muscles that might be a little weaker. Yeah, definitely. Uh, regular mus- massage makes a big difference. Um, personally, I get one rub a week um, and it makes a huge difference. Uh, you get a lot of trapped tension within your muscles. Your muscles get stiff, they get sore, um, they don't move the way they're meant to. Um, so having someone work on those spots, particularly those spots too, and that's one piece of advice I'd give to all listeners. If you are seeing someone, make sure you communicate properly with them. Tell them what's sore. Tell them where it, what you're feeling because then they can do their job properly. Um, a lot of clients I have, you know, they go in, they lie down, they basically treat it as a relaxation period which is great. Of course it is. It's enjoyable. But if you get your professional, and you should have a professional, um, working on what's actually causing you grief, then it makes a big difference. You can actually relieve the muscles that are causing you tension, causing you stress, and stopping you from being able to exercise as effectively as you possibly can. Not to mention it can also just feel really nice to have uh, some, you know, some tight and stiff areas of your body worked. What about you, Sam? Do you, um, you know, regularly have uh, massage or muscle treatment? Yeah, I'm in the same boat as Sean. It's uh, maybe not once a week, once a fortnight for myself, but I do a lot of um, that kind of stuff as well on my own. And uh, we've got a few tools in the gym and a few balls that we like to uh, get into nice tight spots. And I wouldn't say it's the most enjoyable uh, experience but it, it definitely helps it's just and for some people it might be a, a grueling gym workout for others it could just be as we we're saying a walk around the block and for each person you'll get tied off a different level of intensity and exercise so those sort of things whether they're weekly fortnightly however often you feel you need to will make a massive difference just wanted to add one thing on what's been said about uh movement um for the listeners, I think it's really important for listeners to determine why they're training. If your SIBO is so bad and that all you want in life is to get on top of your SIBO, uh, your approach to training would be very different to if for someone who, like Beck, for example, she's real well on top of her SIBO now. It's an ongoing journey, but she's able to challenge herself um, to a high level. So when you really are in control of your SIBO, your focus will shift more towards weight loss or toning up or other goals but you really need to know where you are at on your SIBO journey because if your pure focus if all you want from everything you're doing is to improve your SIBO because it's affecting your life that bad your exercise should be very light you don't want to do exercise to a level of intensity that's going to take away from your body's ability to repair your stomach Okay, as you progress and you you get you start to heal your stomach, you'll find that you are able to try and focus on other things. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's really important that you know where you are on that journey. And I'll just point out, just and it's just technical. It's uh, we're healing our small intestine rather than <laughs> than the stomach. <laughs> but our stomachs can often have uh, have issues um, as well. Our digestive system, in order for SIBO to occur, something's gone wrong with our digestive system, and uh, and, I, and that is from mouth to anus. And I think that um, whilst, yes, we've got SIBO, I'm pretty convinced that we've got things going wrong elsewhere. Uh, but anyway, just just me being technical there. <laughs> but I really love that, Sean, um, because it is so much about doing things that are right for your journey at your journey's point in time. So where you are today isn't where you'll be in the future. Where I am today with my health isn't where I was in the past and it isn't where I'll be in the future because I'm always looking forward. Um Talk to me about goal setting. I think 
I think goal setting is really important, looking forward rather than looking back. How do you work with your clients around setting goals and helping them to get to a point in the future that they're wanting to achieve? Uh, We sit down with our clients every six weeks. So every six weeks we'll formulate a new plan and a plan of attack and all that kind of stuff. But initially we just sit there and have a good, honest conversation with them and all sorts of questions, how they're what's going on in their life, work, business, family, and just really get a good picture of where they are health and fitness-wise and just get to know them. And that sort of allows us to go, okay, let's make a plan that's going to suit you, not just – I feel a lot of people make a plan, but they haven't really thought it out. They just want to be able to walk around the block maybe or they want to drop five kilos or anything like that. But what you really need to do is go – what do I really want to do? And you've got to really figure it out and just have an honest chat about it. And we find it a lot. We will say, cool, you want to do that? Why do you want to do it? And that allows us to go delve a little deeper, gives us an honest response. A lot of times they don't want to drop five kilos. They want to be more energetic for their kids. And that's going to get them not only into the gym, but allow us to give the best plan of attack going forward. And how do you break down those steps? So let's say someone's saying that they want to lose five kilos or that's roughly 10 pounds. It doesn't seem like a lot, but it is a lot at the same time. So how do you go from where you are today? Or it could conversely be gaining that because with SIBO, we're either underweight or we're overweight. It's, it doesn't seem to be common that we are at a healthy weight range with SIBO. How do we break down today to five kilos, 10 pounds on or off? Um, it's good to know your outcome goals, which is what we've kind of spoken about just now. Lose the ten kilo, sorry, lose the five kilos, ten pounds, um, and understanding the why. Just like Sammy gives you the motivator, what you're asking there, Beck, is making sure you have the behaviours in place to reach those outcome goals. So you might say, "I want to lose five kilos." Now, it's not just going to happen. There's certain behaviours that you need to put in place to make that goal happen, um, which is why we call them behaviour goals. Now, you might implement three new behaviours. One might be you're going to go for a walk every single day, you're going to drink X amount of litres of water every single day, and you're going to make sure you get to bed at a decent hour. There's a whole range of things you can implement as behaviour goals, and they all contribute to your outcome goals. Um, but it's really important that you don't just write the outcomes down. You must make sure you specify the behaviours that you're going to put in place to make those outcomes happen. It's really like drawing a bit of a, a um, roadmap, isn't it? So you've got your start and then your end, and then you're, you're plotting the journey and the road that you're going to take. Um, and I think about uh, – so um, I recently – did the Michael, Dr. Michael Mosley eight-week blood sugar diet challenge. I wanted to see what impact that had on my body because I've really struggled to lose the excess weight that I've been carrying. And it was really actually very good. Um, and I did drop five kilos or 10 pounds um, through the eight weeks, which was very exciting. But I used that time as well to really focus on some of my other behavioural goals. So sleep was a big thing. I really set a goal of being to in bed before midnight, which is pretty big for me because I'm a natural night owl. Um, I had to set goals around the food that I was eating and I chose to not drink alcohol during that time. I chose to exercise every day. And like you say, Sean, all of those things that I put in place contributed to me losing um, five kilos or 10 pounds from that program. So I think 
yeah, that's you know really sound advice on how to to get there. And we can apply that for SIBO as well. And and I think that whilst we might not have all of the answers as to how we get well, we can put things in place. And stress and anxiety. Uh, can be really common with this condition because we can feel quite overwhelmed that we're sick and we we can't get well. Um, And so perhaps one of those behavioural goals that we could aim towards is to focus on our breathing because when you're focusing on your breathing, it's very difficult to stay in a very anxious state when you switch your mindset to focusing on your breath. What are um, some other things, some behavioural goals that you commonly see that people need to adopt when they're setting some goals that support movement? I think the first one we see or that we try to implement is just being realistic as well because we get <laughs> as amazing as it is, I just want to, I'll be in here every day, morning and night and just giving it my all. It's uh, figuring out what your lifestyle is and then just therefore choosing a couple of times a week, if that's possible, to then go about it. And each week you'll be hitting it, feeling motivated, feeling positive, and then you can always increase it from then. It's all about just finding it, being realistic, and then launching from there really. Sam, I love that. I am, like I've said many times, I'm all or nothing. And I am that person when I start training. I'm like, I'm going to be here seven days a week and I'm going to train twice a day and I'm going to be competing in an Ironman competition in six months because I'll be so buff and fit. (laughs) And then I do a week and then I'm really sore and then I fall away. And actually, one of my goals, one of my behavioral goals has been about moderation interestingly. So it's me, it's not me, it's actually me trying to pull myself back and not saying I'll exercise seven days a week, but it's me saying I will exercise consistently four times a week. Once I've got the four times a week down, then I will build from there. One of the things that I've had to do is um, get support. So I see you guys twice a week, which is great. I train twice, um, two mornings a week. But I needed to find support outside of that and I've really rallied the support of my partner to make help me get up and out and walking um, and I've got a friend that I like to do yoga with. How do you um, advise your clients around getting support to exercise when they're not working with you as personal trainers? That's a good question because yeah, a, a supportive social network is so important to any health and fitness goal. Um, obviously, the people around you influence your reality. So, if you know, you really need to get the ones you love and the people who love you on board with whatever you're trying to achieve. Now, don't underestimate this because this is can be really hard. Um, people don't like to see change in a lot of people. They, it's people are resistant to, to change. So. It really could come down to an important conversation where you actually need to sit your friends down, your boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband, whoever it is, or even your boss, and just have a chat around, explain to them why what you're trying to do is important to you and how much of an influence and impact they have on your life and how much it would mean to them if they could be supportive. Because they don't mean to not be supportive, it's just you're doing things differently and it's taking them by surprise. Um, Usually someone just needs to hear exactly why and how important it is and you'll get the support from them. That's really valid with particularly with SIBO because so much of your life changes with SIBO, particularly around your food. Um, and I think having that clear conversation with people around, you know, I this is what I'm doing. This is why I, 
this is the support I need from you and this is why it's important to me that I have your support um, can be a really beneficial conversation because not only for you as the person with SIBO or GI issues, but also for the friends and family um, to have a bit better understanding of what you're actually going through. I think that that can, that can be really beneficial. Do you, what do you see, Sam, with um, your clients? Yeah, 100%. They, I think, as Shawnee said, it's just all underestimated. People just they have assumed knowledge of what's going on, but they just need to hear, hey, this is what's happening with me. This is how it makes me feel. Um, and this is just what I need from you guys because, you know, maybe I'm having a bit of a rough time in the moment, whether it's with SIBO and coming to terms with that or how that's affecting you health-wise or whether it's trying to lose weight and how that's affecting you emotionally. Just having the honest conversation of, guys, this is where I'm at. This is the sort of help I'm looking for and the support's there. I had that conversation with my partner where I sat him down and said, I need your help. I'm asking for your help and I need your help to keep me motivated. I'm feeling really lacking in motivation and I need uh, you to help get me up and out. And uh, and so he's been, I've got to say, he's been really amazing at, um, you know, getting me uh, out when there are times when it's been a long day and I've been really busy and I'm quite tired and I might my natural inclination might be just to chill out and he'll say come on let's go and do a lap of the botanical gardens um, which we live quite close to here in Melbourne and it's a beautiful walk it's a it's a nice hour walk from start to finish from from our place um, and it's great and I never feel bad for doing it but he's been my real cheerleader at uh, helping get me out and I think that that's um it's really great when you can um, ask people for help what what if people feel that they don't have anyone to ask for help is there are there other ways that people can find support certainly is Beck. um you just need to look for it someone like yourself is definitely providing channels for people to look um the SIBO community is growing if that's exactly what you're going through and you feel like people aren't around you aren't supportive Look elsewhere than your current geography, I suppose is what I say. Get online. We're all connected these days. Um, And just talk to people. Online, you'll find people who share similar interests, who are going through the same pain that you're going through. Um, And just keep reaching out to find people who you can connect with and who can give you the support that you really need. Don't give up. There is such a there's so many wonderful online communities for SIBO. There's a really big Facebook group for SIBO. Um, it's global, which is a I I delved into that when I first got my diagnosis, and it's a really great way of connecting with other people. Um, but there's also local communities, um, you know, local Facebook groups for SIBO where you might be able to find people in your own area that perhaps you could meet to go for a walk or even go and catch up and just meet someone that knows exactly what you're going through. Um, now, you, you guys are quite interesting as personal trainers because you've got the nutrition qualifications as, and um, experience as well as personal trainers. Um, before we finish, I'd just like to, talk, to ask you about how important you think nutrition is in us getting well again. It's just as crucial as movement. Um, your nutrition influences every system in your body. I think everyone's heard the term you are what you eat and it's very true. Um, It's particularly true for SIBO sufferers. Uh, Now, the bacteria in your small intestine that are causing the grief uh, thrive on certain nutrients. So if you are starving those bacteria of that nutrient, you can help heal your small intestine. 
really is our life source. So, um, you know, I think, yeah, nutrition is is key and good nutrition. I think the quality of our food, uh, not just whether we're eating food, but the quality of the food is important. Um, now, I'm really lucky in that I just kind of stumbled across you guys and, uh, and you've been working with me now for the last two years. What's your advice on how someone listening can find a personal trainer in their local area and find someone that's right for them because there are a lot of personal trainers and here in Australia in particular we seem to be a personal trainer factory we have personal trainer courses coming out of our ears and uh, and and surely not every one of them is going to be a good personal trainer um, because there's just so many flooding the market. So what's your advice on how to find someone that's suitable for you? Uh, yes, it's very true, Beck. We are living in an era with a, uh, yeah, a flooded market for the personal trainers. Um, my m- advice on finding a personal trainer that is good and worth your while is somewhat, trying to find someone that is willing to listen to you and understand not only what you want, what you're trying to achieve, but where you, you're at. Um, it's very common for preconceived ideas to exist in a lot of PTs. They um, tend to think they know the way to do things and that is the way and that is the only way uh, that they do it. Um, so like I said, just you'll know by if they're willing to listen. Do they listen to you? Do they take on board your injuries, the, what your SIBO does to you, how it affects your, in, your uh, energy levels? Do they accommodate for this or do they more make you try and do things the way that they think you should be doing um, would be the thing I'd say to be aware of. And that's obviously great advice for when someone started working with someone, but how does someone, do you have any advice on how to find them in the first instance? Obviously, online is the quickest and easiest uh, source, but then spending some time and actually browsing through their, their page see what's on there, see what they're about, see certain things that they do and whether it really resonates with what you want to do and if you feel comfortable sort of contacting them, that would be the first one that I would do. And the second one, even just calling, calling and having a chat and trying to chat with a manager or the personal trainer there that may be servicing you and see if there's a bit of a connection and rapport with them as well because they're going to be a fairly um, important person in your life for the short, if not long term, and you're going to be seeing them a lot, probably more than we see a lot of our clients, more than we see their, they see their partners. So um, if you don't have a good rapport with them, then it's going to make it such a difficult, difficult time. And in all honesty, it probably ends up being not a waste of your time but and money, if not both, and you have to go on the search again anyway. We uh, actually have a checklist and a guide uh, to uh, show people how to find a uh, PT that'll be and work well with them. Oh, that's really great. So um, I've got that in the show notes. So if anybody wants to see the um, guide on how you at home, you listening, can find a personal trainer um, that's right for you, then you can head to the show notes and download that link. Sean and Sam, it's been uh, really great having you on the show today talking all things nutrition and movement. So I'd really like to thank you for joining us on the Healthy Gut Podcast. Not a problem. Thanks for having us back. My pleasure. 
I hope you enjoyed episode 14 with Sean Seymour and Sam Roberts from Everyday Athletes. If you would like to download the show notes or a full transcription of today's episode, all you need to do is head to thehealthygut.co forward slash exercise. You'll also find the links mentioned in today's show and you can connect with Sean and Sam. Now, I love hearing your feedback from the show, and it also helps me to develop future episodes. So if you listen to this episode through iTunes or any podcast app, you can leave us a rating and review. And it also helps other people who are looking for podcasts around gut health, that they can then know that this is the right place for them. So don't forget to share your feedback with us. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Pinterest and Google+. Just look for us under The Healthy Gut. Coming up on next week's show, we're joined by Dr. Mona Morstein, who is not only a SIBO specialist, but also specialises in working with people with diabetes. And there's a very high correlation between those of us with SIBO and type 2 diabetes. So this episode is not to be missed, especially if you've ever had any issues like I have around insulin resistance and blood sugar irregularity. It's a great Great episode, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it coming up next Tuesday. You've been listening to the Healthy Gut Podcast with Rebecca Coombs. To learn more about the Healthy Gut or the podcast, head to thehealthygut.co forward slash podcast. If you would like to help support the continuation of this podcast, you can make a contribution at thehealthygut.co forward slash podcast. With thanks to Belinda Coombs for the production, editing and original music score of this podcast. To hear more of Belinda's music, head to soundcloud.com forward slash Belinda Coombs. The Healthy Gut Podcast is a production of The Healthy Gut. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.